Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. The Secret Garden is the story of Mary Lennox, a young English girl who has grown up in India. When both of her parents die in a cholera epidemic, she is sent around the world to live with her uncle Archibald Craven at Misselthwaite Manor in Yorkshire. Mary is a selfish and unloving child. Her new home at Misselthwaite Manor is strange and gloomy, a shadow of its former glory. A change begins to take place in Mary and Misselthwaite Manor, though, when she discovers a key to a secret garden. The Secret Garden is a delightful children's story that is filled with mystery, redemption, hope, and beauty. One Christmas morning, when I was around seven or eight, I walked into our living room, my sister beside me, and found a box set of children's classics under our tree. They were a surprise present from my dad because he knew I loved these types of books. The set included Black Beauty, Heidi, and The Secret Garden all with full-color illustrations. The dark green spine of the secret garden, with a picture of Mary Lennox talking to a robin in a garden on the cover, was pure beauty to behold, tucked beneath the glowing tree on Christmas morning. I took the book to school and showed the pictures during show and tell. I was so struck by their loveliness that I wanted to share. But I never planned to read it. My early exposure to a movie version of the story had left me very firmly decided that I did not like Mary Lennox. She was wholly unlikable and self-absorbed in my opinion, with very few, if any, redeemable qualities. I went my whole childhood without picking up the book for any other reason than to look at the pictures. Many years later, when I was an adult, my mom read my copy of The Secret Garden, and with that spark in her eye of someone who has read a book that is very special She told me I had to read it. And so I finally did, during a time when I was transitioning between jobs. As I drove the back roads to work, the weather unusually rainy and gray for fall, matching the tone of the bleak moor winter in the book, I listened to Mary and the garden's transformation from death and stagnancy to vibrancy and life. The book made me more keenly aware of the transformation in nature that was happening around me. After what had seemed like a never-ending summer, fall had finally come to Georgia. One day, while curving along a bend in the road, and during a crucial moment in the book, I came to a wall of bright yellow trees. The color through the early autumn fog and the words of the story took my breath away. And the longer I listened to the book, to my surprise, I found myself liking Mary Lennox. The story was beautiful, and had a depth that I had misjudged. I now consider it one of my favorite books. And now, here's more about the story. At last, the horses began to go more slowly, as if they were climbing uphill, and presently there seemed to be no more hedges and no more trees. She could see nothing, in fact, but a dense darkness on either side. Mary Lennox sees the Yorkshire moors for the first time. It is a cold and rainy night, and the landscape seems an unpromising, bleak, and wide expanse. This will be her new home. 
Before coming to Misselthwaite Manor, Mary Lennox has lived her life as an unloved child. After her parents die in a cholera outbreak, she is found alone in her house by some British officers. They refer to her as the child no one ever saw. Imagine what it must be like to be abandoned and forgotten as a child. No one thinks to look after Mary's welfare during the cholera outbreak, not even her parents. But Mary is a curious child, oddly unaffected by this abandonment and her parents' death. She doesn't cry or bemoan her fate. Instead, she expects to be taken care of, just as she has always been. Anyone will do. People don't matter to her. She is sent to the Crawfords' home first, before leaving for her, her uncles in England, where she is taunted by the English clergyman's five children who call her Mistress Mary Quite Contrary. In a way, you can't fault the Crawford children for their taunts. Mary is a wholly self-absorbed child, only concerned if she will be sent to nice people who will let her have her way. She's a difficult child, spoiled to the core, terrorizing and demeaning her servants, friendless and incapable of love. Mary Lennox is an unpromising heroine at the start of the book, and if it weren't for the compelling story, written almost like a fairy tale, it would be easy to abandon it because of her character. But maybe we aren't supposed to like Mary Lennox in the beginning. Perhaps Frances Hodgson Burnett created Mary Lennox to show that change and redemption are possible, even in the most unlikely of people. I think it's important for children to have a character like Mary Lennox, Maybe not a steady diet of them. My favorite characters are still the hopeful, optimistic ones like Sarah Crewe in The Little Princess or Anne Shirley in Anne of Green Gables. But there are times when a difficult character is needed. If for no other reason than to show children that a person can change for the better, that they can be redeemed. It gives children hope. It gives us all hope. We adults need to be reminded of it, too. On the surface, there isn't anything redeemable about Mary. There isn't anything underneath that makes us think that she really isn't so bad after all. Even the fact that she is unloved by her family and forgotten do little to make us think that she is this way only because she's been wronged or mistreated. Mary has been spoiled because no one wants the trouble of her, but she has also chosen to be unkind and bratty. We aren't really expecting her to change at the beginning. We know she will, of course, but the transformation is done in a slow and beautiful way in a way that makes the reader hope for Mary's change, and one that still comes as a surprise. It is a gradual change. It begins with Mary's first true friend, Martha the housemaid, who, with good Yorkshire humor, doesn't play the servant to Mary. It is Martha who shows Mary the first bit of warmth and friendship the child has known, and starts to tell Mary stories of her home, a lovely family of twelve children, including her endearing brother Dickon, and Martha's mother, Mrs. Sowerby, who cares for Mary from afar. Mary doesn't deserve Martha's friendship. It certainly isn't earned, but it is freely given to her. Martha also tells Mary stories about the moor in the Yorkshire springtime, of the heather that flowers and the blooming of crocuses, snowdrops, and daffy-down-dillies, my new favorite word for daffodils. The description of the spring in Yorkshire is pure magic when painted by Martha, especially to Mary, who has never seen an English spring. You can feel the anticipation, hope, and mystery of spring in the darkest days of winter. It is appropriate that it's Martha who tells Mary about the secret garden. 
the stories about the garden send Mary on a search for it. Misselthwaite Manor, like Mary, has been forgotten. It seems like a house in a fairy tale that is under a spell of gloom and despair. The house carries a mysterious secret, and Mary's uncle, Archibald Craven, is a man with bitterness of heart. He has never stopped grieving his wife's death. He is often away from the house. In fact, it isn't until later in the book that Mary meets him. And he takes little interest in the house, and so it suffers from neglect, not so much in maintenance as in spirit. There seems to be a death shroud over Misselthwaite Manor since the death of Mr. Craven's wife. There is precious little joy in the house, except by the housemaid Martha. Mr. Craven's wife's garden, a garden she loved and they both worked in and cared for, has been shut up and the key buried. The once thriving garden is left to waste, and every effort is made to forget it. And where the garden was once full of life, with flowers and abundance and living creatures enjoying the creation, it has become overgrown, wild, and neglected. What does it look like to tend a garden, to plant it, to see it take shape, and for it to thrive? For much of Mary's early life, a garden looks like play, moving heaps of earth around under a tree in the clergyman's yard. But nothing will grow in her play garden in India. It is as lifeless as she is. Misselthwaite Manor is different. Here, Mary finds a real garden to tend. A garden that has been shut up and forgotten. The garden is asleep and waiting to be woken up to come alive and thrive once more, much like Mary in Misselthwaite Manor. There's a part in the book that I love. It's when Mary meets her uncle for the first time. As their conversation comes to a close, he asks her if there's anything she wants, expecting her to ask for toys or books. But she surprises him and asks for a bit of earth. What a curious thing to ask for from a child. She's already found the garden, but she needs permission to work it, a blessing of sorts. It was her uncle's words that caused me to stop on that fall morning and stare in wonder at the golden trees. Her uncle tells her to take a bit of earth and make it come alive. These words are like a hearkening back to Eden and God's command to tend it, or a reminder of the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Mary, with the help of Dickon, begins the hard work of restoring the garden, as she pulls up weeds and makes room for flowers and learns what plants will thrive and which have shriveled, Mary physically thrives. She fills out and looks healthier and pretty. A change in her heart begins as well. Mary begins to love people. The garden works on her body and heart, transforming her. She is bursting with the good news of the garden, although she must keep it a secret. That is until she meets a miserable child, her cousin Colin, who was even more despicable than she was, and the secret must be shared with him. If Mary holds the secret of the garden and tells no one but Dickon, she is changed and the garden is brought to life, but the state of Misselthwaite will remain the same. It will still be a gloomy house owned by her miserable uncle, and her cousin Colin, who lives in a self-imposed exile, will still be an insufferable child, convinced that he is dying. The garden cannot do its complete work if Mary doesn't share the good news 
and beauty of it with those around her, her cousin Colin included. When she does share the secret, the garden brings healing to the whole house. Colin learns to walk in the garden that his mother loved so well, surrounded by the roses that she planted. Mary learns to work hard and love the people around her. The children still maintain the same personalities they had before, and I appreciate that Frances Hodgson Burnett does this, but they have learned to love and care for people. Even the crusty old Ben Weatherstaff is welcomed by the children into the garden and is changed. And Mary and Colin, two unloved children, are shown genuine love and care for the first time in their lives by Dickon and Mrs. Sowerby. And finally, Mr. Craven, who has avoided his home since his wife died and his son was born, staying there no longer than he has to, is brought home. At his homecoming, he is welcomed back into the garden, and Misselthwaite Manor, the people in it, and the garden are finally restored. It is easy when reading The Secret Garden to long like Mary for your own bit of earth, to tend it like an Eden, with the hope that it will become flourishing and verdant. Perhaps there is a part of our makeup that is not fully satisfied until we do this, even if it is only a houseplant to brighten up a corner of our home. The Secret Garden is a book that should be read for so many reasons. It contains mystery, it shows the importance of beauty in a broken and hurting world, but my favorite thing that I gleaned from the book, what I've tried to show in this episode, is the ever-present possibility of redemption in a life. By the love of her small community of friends and tending a bit of earth, Mary Lennox has transformed from being a self-absorbed and spoiled child into being a child who can love. She in turn brings that good news to the miserable Colin which ushers in restoration and new life to the whole of Misselthwaite Manor. It is a little picture of the gospel in a children's book, carrying with it the reminder that one day all will be restored and made to thrive again. It reminds us, too, that we are intended for more than a neglected garden overgrown with weeds. How fortunate we are to have this story. Read this book for its celebration of beauty. Read it for its sweet portrayal of friendship. Read it if your heart has been heavy and you need a reminder of hope and renewal. Read it to combat the dark days of winter and to know that the promise of spring is not far off. This episode is dedicated to my dad, who bought me my first copy of The Secret Garden so many Christmases ago. Dad, I was many years late in reading it, but it has become one of my favorite books. Thank you for your thoughtfulness that long-ago Christmas morning. A quick note on the audio version I listened to. It was read by Indira Varma. And while there are many fine narrators, her performance is magnificent. Her tone and inflection are flawless, and her broad Yorkshire is a treat for the ears. I highly recommend listening to this version. 